with just a little bit of investment and a little bit of you know smarter operations, we can significantly decrease greenhouse gas and then also help people follow you on the back end from reducing those emissions. Welcome to another episode of Young Professionals in Energy podcast. This is Mark Heineman with uh, the YPE Denver chapter. I'm joined today with Hillary Stevenson of Valadir. Hillary, how are you doing? Really great, Mark. Happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, we're stoked to have you. So, Hillary, we, uh, we met at the D5 conference, which was a conference put on by TPH in Denver, right? Energy Consulting Group or Investment Banking Consulting Group, um, the energy industry. I'm curious, uh, what do you think of the conference? You know, it's uh, what first it was the first conference that I've been to uh, back in person. So of course, that was exciting. Uh, but it was also one of the first conferences where I really learned a lot, uh, particularly around like what sort of uh, innovations are coming down the pipeline, right? So a lot of talk about innovations for hydrogen as fuel, a lot of talk about innovation in electricity generation, some new nuclear methods uh, that might help us sort of uh, as we go through this energy transition. So yeah, I learned a lot. I thought it was a great conference. Yeah, super fun and great bar selection for a Tuesday conference. So (laughs) but before we dive into much else, I want to spend a little bit talking about kind of your background and uh, tell us about your career and how you got into where you are in the energy space now. Yeah, so I've been in oil and gas for about 13 years now. I started my career at Genscape, which was a uh, energy data provider. Some people would say uh, energy data spy. Uh, we installed remote sensors to figure out how electricity and oil and gas were flowing around the globe. Uh, Genscape was purchased by Wood McKenzie in 2019. So then I uh, spent a little bit of time with the great folks at Wood McKenzie using that data to sort of figure out like, what does that mean for the future? Uh, and then more recently, I've joined Valadier. I'm super excited to be on the Valadier team. Uh, I, it is oil and gas as a SaaS company software as a service. Uh, so now I'm sort of being able to look at the data inside the fence. So I spent a lot of time looking at facilities from, from outside. The, uh, now I get to get my hands on some real inside the fence sensor data. So that's really exciting. That's excellent. Super exciting. Uh, tell, tell me about Wood McKenzie. D- did you enjoy working there? I mean, don't don't want you to bad mouth your previous employer, but I assume it was a great experience. But I I have some friends that work there now, and I'm I'm just I'm curious about the organization. Yeah, I mean, they have access to so much data, tons of data, right? Um, like I was mostly North American focused for my entire career, and they really have a lot of subject matter experts. Like you think of uh, Anne Louise or Alan Gelder. I mean, they are at the OPEC meetings and they have a lot of domain expertise on, you know, really what's going to happen in the future and a lot of like upstream um, experience that I was kind of always in the mid-downstream uh, part of the oil and gas industry. So it was really cool to see that breadth of knowledge and the different applications that they were u- using that for for their customers. Excellent. That's great. Okay. So now you're at Valadir. 
your official position is sales enablement, or that's what your LinkedIn LinkedIn page says, right? Yeah. So, uh, so Validier helps customers value oil and gas commodities at the molecular level. Our software provides a system of record and quality, which enables machine learning to help diagnose problems and fill in data gaps. That helps users get the most value for, the mo- for their molecules, at both an operational and commercial standpoint. But now more recently, we're using that same data to verify emissions attributes for ESG purposes. So at, at the molecular level, help me, help me understand that. Are you guys taking measurements or predominantly just software and validating how much uh, oil and gas exists or move through operators' systems? Help me understand. Yeah, sure. So um, in order to get that uh, record of quality and record of volume, we tie directly into uh, our customers' sensor systems, right? So we'll tie directly into production accounting. If you have any inline flow meters, um, if you're doing any sort of sample sample pulling, we'll get the sample results, um, help, help you have an automated way to get those into the system. So you basically have everywhere, everything in one place. So you can sort of see, here's my ins, here's my outs. Um, and we can also help you tag different attributes to those molecules, right? Like um, we can help you identify this this incoming stream is off spec and alert you to that. We can um, help you identify this incoming stream has uh, this kind of methane intensity, which is you know tracked to in your aggregate ESG emissions. Gotcha. So you guys might actually tie into the flow meters and flow sensors that exist on location. Would you tie directly into those or also a, a team's production reporting system? Both. Yeah. So and then, yeah, okay. so uh, the production reporting system and any um, existing sensors. And then we can help, you know, part of the value is we can use machine learning to sort of help fill in where physical sensors are not. So a lot of times the ROI on buying an expensive piece of equipment is really hard to attain. And a lot of times, you know, you can triangulate the data that you already have to make inferences with pretty good levels of certainty around that thing that you're trying to measure with a physical sensor. And so that's one of the, the huge values that we bring to our customers. You don't need to buy this expensive equipment. We can uh, have a virtual measurement of that given your, your existing systems. That's really interesting. Do, do you think that has application or is, is an application of that in like a bulk and test environment? Yeah, so um, we have the uh, one of the solutions is also around like orphan tests. If you like four percent of data that comes in is transcribed wrong, and then another four percent of data that comes in is just lost and like can't be matched back. So then you're spending a lot of extra time and a lot of extra money. Like I don't know where this data point is. Go pull another sample, right? And so uh, the software helps sort of identify those orphan measurements and then allows you to easily, uh, you know, attribute those back, 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 back <laughs> to the place where they they were taken in the first place. Gotcha. That makes sense. So you guys are being able to account for missing data uh, or if there is data missing, then using some machine learning algorithms to fill in the blank spots. And you think there's a large application for it. Yeah. And so whenever you think about like that kind of doesn't sound like a lot, but when you are looking at sort of the volume of data points that are coming through the system, right, the volume of oil and gas that's moving around the globe at any given time, 
you know, that transcription error could be $300,000. You know, that's where, like, when we look at our data and um, we analyze the data that is flowing through our system, which is about 6 million barrels a day of oil equivalent, we can see that those errors are, you know, maximum of about $300,000 a month in just data error costs. And it's not just upstream side, right? You guys aren't just at the wellhead. You're also midstream downstream. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, you think about, I kind of draw an analogy to your checkbook, right? Like, do you remember when you, you used to have everything down and balance your checkbook? And then you would get the statement from the bank at the end of the month. And if the numbers didn't match, then you would have to go back and be like, oh, yeah, I didn't write down this check or, oh, yeah, I used my debit card or, oh, I just transcribed this number completely. So like now we have software. I can log into my bank from my phone or from my computer and see in real time, you know, the things that are flowing through. And if if I, you know, if that's a real charge or not. And then probably the bank also offers alerting capabilities to let me know, like, if I spend over $100, send me a text message because I want to, you know, keep a tight track on my finances. It's the same thing that we're doing in the oil and gas industry. So if you are um, net gas processing and you have to balance your facility and you have a bunch of incoming inlet gas and you have, you know, outlet gas that you're trying to, you know, figure out who was the um, offending producer that sent you off that off spec stuff or, you know, how to um, allocate the NGLs back to the different producers, then if you wait to do that at the end of the month, uh, it is really hard to figure that out. So if you're seeing all that data flow through in real time and you're alerted to any errors or um, missing data that may occur, then that just saves you time and money. Totally makes sense. As somebody who has been responsible for production data and making sure that it's accurate, uh, I fully understand how infuriating it can be at the end of the month when things don't line up and they don't balance. So that makes a ton of sense. Um, so how are you guys executing? How big is the team? Where do you operate? Who are some of our customers? We are, uh, we ju- we're very excited. We just crossed 100 employees uh, last month. And so we have, thank you. Yeah, I was, it's kind of cool to be top top 100, first 100. I guess you're always top 100, uh, 100 people or less, right? Uh, but yeah, so our team members are in the US and Canada. Uh, so the company was started in Canada back in 2016, and then we've really expanded into the US over the last couple of years, especially um, our new ESG capabilities. So all this data that we're talking about, like fill in the data gaps and tie into the sensors, we're essentially able to extract the methane or CO2 emissions data associated with those records. And so just like you can get all your production counting in real time, you can also visibility into your ESG, you know, data attributes in real time. People are using that to monetize it um, or people are using that, you know, for their reporting to say, hey, you know, we have actually reduced emissions year year like we said that we were going to. That's excellent. So, I mean, having the production reporting piece and making sure that your oil and gas is accurate and the amount uh, of product that you guys produced or that your customers produced is accurate is one value proposition. But sounds like you guys have an add-on for accounting for CO2 emissions and methane emissions. Does that include methane leaks? Uh, and do most of your customers sign up for the value proposition from the accounting piece, meaning ensuring that they're uh, looking for accuracy in their measurements? Or uh, do some of your customers sign up just for the value proposition of the ESG? 
Yeah, yeah. So it is, um, we have sort of operation offerings. That's the sort of bread and butter, uh, the original uh, SKUs, if you will, that we've talked to, you know, talked about. And then, or you can choose to get ESG solutions. And so it's kind of a, uh, a la carte. Now, it's obviously easier if you can do both, right? Because ESG is not just, um, you know, something that people need to do at the end of the month, right? You really need to have ESG integrated into your entire operation so that you can, you know, just like in that checking example, know when something is going wrong. Like you, it may not be a volume or quality issue, but you may have, you know, uh, a creep up of your methane intensity or a leak that you're not aware of. It's not impacting anything else, but it will be impacting your sort of emissions profile. Makes sense. We, we see a lot of movement in the AS, ESG space. Um, in fact, YP is probably going to have a committee or ESG committee in Denver that, you know, it's kind of like a mastermind group, um, moving forward. So I'm curious on your perspective of the growth in the ESG space and the demand for that service. I assume you guys think it's growing. Oh, for sure. I mean, I mean, like even we're hearing market participants from banks to crude oil importers to crude oil exporters, to nat gas producers are all beginning to participate in this voluntary market specifically around natural gas right now has been sort of first to market. So the uh, certification options you have for gas production, right? You can be MIQ certified, you can be EO certified, you can um, use Project Canary and have uh, certification with equipment. Uh, We play with all of that data and we also help people generate NPCs or methane performance certificates. So that's a really cool voluntary market that's uh, trading expansive exchange right now where people are essentially able to have a fungible certificate that's associated with low emission gas, right? Responsibly sourced natural gas. Um, so you can see, you know, there's been some public transactions like Energier uh, bought a bunch of responsible source gas for power production in Canada. Um, but we, we see people wanting to purchase these credits to help offset emissions in the broader portfolio. Gotcha. So what value do you think the ESG movement is providing? Do you think it's just emission reduction through purchase of credits? You kind of have to separate it into like what's available today. So the movement is in motion is is pretty well defined with those uh, methane credits and the other different certifications. But I think crude is what we really need to get figured out, right? So um, how can we get an MPC for a crude, right? I don't know if that's a crude um, performance uh, certif- certificate. MPC is a methane performance credit. What is that? Yeah. So uh, in order to generate a methane performance credit, then your methane em- intensity needs to be below 0.1, right? Uh, okay. The US, sort of U.S. North America average is 0.37. A methane intensity. Uh, that's from EPA reporting filings. And so the 0.1 or 0.37 is a ratio of what? Yeah. So the methane intensity is the methane emissions over methane production. So how much okay. methane you emitted over your total net production is your methane intensity. Okay. So if if you produced 10 MCF of gas, and you emitted one MCF of gas in order to produce that 10 MCF, then that is below the threshold, the 0.1 level, right? 
And you're saying that, yep. that the average exactly. is 0.37. That's pretty high. 0.437, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, how you would figure out how many certificates you could generate on that 10 MCF is you would say, okay, cool. My emissions is 0.1. So I'm at the threat at or below the threshold. Then the calculation is you take the industry average 0.437 minus 0.1 over the industry average 0.437. So essentially, then you would be probably generating about 80%. I think if we do math, let's just say it's around 80, then that means that you would be able to make eight MPCs off of that 10 MCFs. Gotcha. So it incentivizes people to have much lower emissions than 0.1, right? So people who have um, really low emissions are able to generate uh, almost 100% NPCs of their production. And then they're able to either use those certificates to say that this natural gas is responsibly sourced natural gas, or it can be disconnected from the commodity and sold to sort of offset emissions from higher um, emission production. So I'll try and summarize it back to you as I heard it. The MPC and or methane performance certificate and methane intensity are metrics that the industry has adopted, um, that they have a financial value, um, either through demonstrating that your gas was produced responsibly and therefore maybe more attractive or selected by utility or specific customers who want to buy your gas. So it could, your product could be easier to sell, have a higher value at market, or there could be a financial value to the MPCs or methane performance certificates uh, that you could actually monetize and find a buyer that wants to say that they had offsets. Exactly. Yeah. And so Platts have a benchmark for NPC, right? So if we talk about the value part, uh, and the initial price was set at a, a little less than four cents, 3.9 cents per NPC. And so we're seeing bid asks between the range of about two and a half cents to five cents per NPC. So there is a real commercial value to having low emissions so you can gener generate these certificates and get paid for better performance. For producing gas that has a lower emission requirement or like, that doesn't require as many emissions to produce. Okay. Yeah. So how does that help, that help uh, society long-term? Yeah. So long-term, I mean, if you read the IEA reports, methane is the second leading cause to global warming. So a lot of those methane emissions are just like, you know, human activity. Uh, but the oil and gas sector picks up a pretty good chunk of that. And the oil and gas sector, with a little bit of investment, could significantly reduce those emissions. So like one, we're talking about methane emissions, like that's natural gas. That's a commodity that you can collect and sell, right? And so um, with just a little bit of investment, a little bit of, you know, smarter operations, it can significantly decrease greenhouse gas emissions and then also help people follow you on the back end from reducing those emissions. So thinking forward 5, 10, 20 years, how does this help the movement impact the bottom line of both energy companies, uh, I guess economies at large and consumers? Yeah, so I think of it kind of like um, an organic label or uh, ethanol in your gasoline. Like I think that it's going to get to the point where uh, people will be rewarded for reducing emissions and penalized for having really dirty oil or really dirty gas or, or need to buy these offsets. So I think of it in a five, 10 year world, we'll all be buying, you know, or gold gasoline 
or organically labeled plastic products that were generated, or, you know, we'll have an option on your electricity bill to be using responsibly sourced energy and then, you know, penalized if you have to use um, less environmentally friendly energy sources. I agree. I think that it's it's absolutely heading in that direction. So what uh, what challenges in the energy industry do you see in the next, say, one to four years? So I've really been thinking about this recently. I'm from Western Kentucky. My entire family is there and they just had a massive tornado come through the area and it has been really devastating. So I think the um, the challenge for the energy industry is just that of the energy transition. So like, how can we transition to more sustainable energy sources while competing with like rapid climate change? So you think about like, Winter storm Uri in Texas, or you know, I think in 2020 it was the most active hurricane season on record, and we had these tornadoes recently, or the wind in Denver, uh, where you are, right? It it makes it it's a headwind, like not no pun intended, to greener sources of energy, right? And in Houston, people wouldn't have been able to charge their electric cars and use them to heat up. Uh, you know, people, you know, you talk about people using their F-150s to, to charge their phones and stuff. So it is, we need to make sure we get the pace right. We need to march towards greener energy sources um, while combating a rapidly changing climate environment. I agree. I think some of the extreme weather events will, if they continue, yeah, continue generating momentum um, in that direction. What's one thing that uh, scares you about energy or the current energy climate? Yeah, I think that it kind of goes back to that. It's like energy scarcity, right? Like if you think about, you know, there's no power to your house. There's no natural gas to your house. There's no gasoline. You know, we had had the colonial outage and people were panic buying everywhere. Uh, You know, you can't charge your cell phone. You can't. You can't do your job. You can't get the resources that you need. I think that that is the biggest scary item on my list. Yeah, terrifies me. So what uh, what advice do you have for young professionals in energy? Yeah, I think um, it's all about the data, right? Like that's what I've seen uh, across my career is how can you get the data to do more work for you? Right. What are the trends and analysis and how can you put the pieces together to really make actionable insights? And so, you know, people are people all across the energy industry are trying to smash together Excel spreadsheets to to draw some conclusions. And so the more data uh, we can get together it's, and it's becoming more granular. Right. Like used to be we'd get DOE stats on a weekly basis. And now we have all sorts of. Um, internal and external sensors that are giving us this, basically a stream of consciousness for what's happening happening in the uh, energy space. So how can we collect data and really put it to work for us? I couldn't agree more. I've spent probably two or three hours already this morning just pounding through spreadsheets, querying databases, writing Python code just to do that. <laughs> so it's, it's very real and prevalent yep. and front yep. of mind for me. So, and it's it's production data. It's the data that you guys are monitoring and selling, so or or trying to assimilate for customers, right? So, yeah, exactly. Okay, so Hillary, tell, heavy lift. tell the future. Yeah, right, heavy lift. So, so tell the future. What where do you see all this going? What does the energy landscape look like five, ten, fifteen years from now? 
And how does Validir fit into that picture? We're going to be able to leverage that data, right? So we're talking about how do we get everything together? Everything's going to be in a cloud, right? Amazon, everybody's going to be using their AWS or, or whatever analogous uh, system. So that's going to really empower faster decisions and, and better information across the energy supply chain. I think we'll probably, at least most of us will have a hybrid car, right? That's going to and a lot of other factors like, like that are going to change the demand profile. So it's probably going to shift from less gasoline, less diesel, but maybe to more plastics, um, obviously like more asphalt, that sort of thing. So the energy industry is going to have to learn how to deal with those shifting in profiles and meet that with the supply um, and then you know, obviously uh, value it all along the way. Okay, I think that's a great stopping point, Hillary. We've uh, appreciated having you. And uh, yeah, until next time. Awesome, Mark. Happy holidays.